0: This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts, this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, Hi, atop the tallest tree in the piney woods. Good to have you with us. It is Friday, the 21st day of July. We are heading into the weekend. Busy days ahead. Uh, This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else it is I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter and Facebook and Twitter. Rumble, and then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to dot Community.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Alright, it's good to have you with us. Oh, gosh. Busy weekend. Um, at church coming up on Sunday. I am actually preaching at uh, Fellowship Bible Church or Fellowship Baptist Church in Bozeman on Sunday morning so if you're in the Bozeman area I would love to have you come out. It's Fellowship Baptist Church and uh, it's in Bozeman <laughs> you can Google it find it out uh, maybe I'll'll uh, I'll tweet out the uh, the address and everything in the service time link to the website but I will be preaching there this Sunday. And then next Sunday, I'll be preaching in Ovando. So I've got a couple of weeks of uh, Sundays on the road as I'm filling the pulpit for some friends who are away on summer vacations and whatnot. Uh, That's a fun thing to do. Both the vacations are fun and the filling the pulpit is fun. But that is my plan for the weekend, don't forsake going to church. It's important to your Christian walk, it's important to your growth as a Christian, it's important that you get together, sit under the faithful teaching of the Word of Christ, and fellowship with fellow believers. It's how God has designed us to grow as Christians, is through those elements. All right, well, what do we got coming up on Friday's Squirrel Chatter? We have prayers in the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, and it's Federalist Friday. We are looking at Federalist number 30 today. It's on taxation. This is going to be interesting, Um, as I'm sure we're all fans of paying taxes. why did Jesus have to say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's? It's just, one well, we, we wish we had an excuse, right? To avoid taxes. Um, and uh, we just had our property taxes go up, as did everybody in Montana. This was a Department of Revenue thing. They changed the structure of how property taxes are computed, and everybody's taxes went up. And uh, so there are a lot of people in Montana who are not explicitly happy about uh, the uh, the property tax situation right now um, we'll talk about that more later uh, that's a Monday meandering topic I think oh I have found a frog in my throat so I may, I may lean heavily on the cough button this morning all right let's begin as is our practice with the prayer of confession From the 2019 Book of Common Prayer Almighty and most merciful Father We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts We have offended against your holy laws We have left undone those things which we ought to have done And we have done those things which we ought not to have done And apart from your grace there is no health in us O Lord have mercy upon us Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Now, our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is entitled Warning Against External Righteousness. Warning against external righteousness. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20. Dr. MacArthur writes, The religious leaders of Jesus' day were entirely concerned with a mere external observance of God's law, giving almost no consideration to motives or attitude. In Matthew 23.25, Jesus gives a descriptive view of such useless religion. You are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful. But inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Because of that terrible condition, our Lord labeled the scribes and Pharisees as hypocrites. They thought God would judge them only for what they did, not for what they thought. But Jesus considers this sort of righteousness to be of the worst kind. Anyone who practices such religion is guilty of a large array of vile sins— Matthew 23:25 through 31 At another time Jesus warned the Pharisees, "You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God." Luke 16:15 Christ's next teaching in this sermon would declare that God's first concern is with people's hearts. He condemns attitudes of anger, hatred and lust, not merely their outward manifestations in murder and adultery, Matthew 5:22 and Matthew 5:27-28. Similarly, anyone's deeds of righteousness such as praying, giving or fasting, if not done with a humble loving attitude, are worthless. See Matthew 6:5-18. Hypocrisy and externalism cannot substitute for genuine righteousness. Ask yourself, where has hypocrisy slipped into your life? Confess every example of it today, not the temptation itself, but rather every time you have gone on to mask pride and impurity with self-righteous appearances. Deal directly with these and repent, experiencing again the freedom of of living whole genuine lives of faith. Good word from Dr. MacArthur this morning. Goes well along the line with uh, what we were looking at in the London Baptist Confession of Faith yesterday on good works, doesn't it? Just fits right in there that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Doesn't matter what you do, if it's not done in faith for the glory of God, it's a sinful act. All right. Federalist Friday, we are looking at Federalist number 30, concerning the general power of taxation from the New York packet Friday, December 28th, 1787, author Alexander Hamilton to the people of the state of New York. It has been already observed that the federal government ought to possess the power of providing for the support of the national forces, in which proposition was intended to be included the expense of raising troops, of building and equipping fleets, and all other expenses in any, way, in any wise connected with military arrangements and operations. But these are not the only objects to which the jurisdiction of the Union, in respect to revenue, must necessarily be empowered to extend. It must embrace the provision for the support of the, ci- of the National Civil List, for the payment of the national debts contracted, or that may be contracted, and in general for all those matters which will call for disbursements out of the National Treasury. The conclusion is that there must be interwoven in the frame of the government a general power of taxation, in one shape or another. Money is, with propriety, considered as the vital principle of the body politic, as that which sustains its life and motion and enables it to perform its most essential functions. A complete power, therefore, to procure a regular and adequate supply of it as far as the resources of the community will permit, may be regarded as an indispensable ingredient to every constitution. From a deficiency in this particular, one of two evils must ensue. Either the people must be subjected to continual plunder as a substitute for a more eligible mode of supplying the public wants, or the government must sink into a fatal atrophy and, in a short course of time, perish. In the Ottoman or Turkish Empire, the sovereign, though in other respects absolute master of the lives and fortunes of his subject, has no right to impose a new tax. The consequence is that he permits the Bashaws or governors of provinces to pillage the people without mercy, and in turn squeezes out of them the sums of which he stands in need to satisfy his own exigencies and those of the state. In America, from a like cause, the government of the Union has gradually dwindled into a state of decay, approaching near nearly to annihilation. Who can doubt that the happiness of the people in both countries would be promoted by co- by competent authorities in the proper hands to provide the revenues which the necessities of the public might require the present confederation feeble as it is intended to repose feeble as it is intended to repose in the united states an unlimited power providing for the pecuniary resu- wants of the union But proceeding upon an erroneous principle, it has been done in such a manner as entirely to have frustrated the intention. Congress, by the articles which compose that compact, as has already been stated, are authorized to ascertain and call for any sums of money necessary in their judgment to the service of the United States, and their requisitions, if conformable to the rule of apportionment, are in every constitutional sense obligatory upon the states." These have no right to question the propriety of the demand, no discretion beyond that of devising the ways and means of furnishing the sums of demanded. But though this be strictly and truly the case, and though the assumption of such a right would be an infringement of the Articles of Union, though it may seldom or never have been avowedly claimed— Yet in practice it has been constantly exercised and will continue to be so as long as the revenues of the Confederacy should remain dependent on the intermediate agency of its members. What the consequence of the system has been is within the knowledge of every man the least conversant in our public affairs and has been amply unfolded in different parts of these inquiries. It is this which has chiefly contributed to reduce us to a situation which affords ample cause, both of mortification to ourselves and of triumph to our enemies. All right, little editorial aside. The situation under the Articles of Confederation, the Congress could ask the states or tell the states, we need X amount of money, and that works out to X amount from your state. The states were under... They were on paper, they were obligated to provide that amount, but there was no way to compel them to do so, and the states were not doing so, <laughs> so that the federal government was notably short of funds to pay for legitimate governmental functions and This was part of the problem why the Articles of Confederation were collapsing. And so that's what Hamilton is talking about here is a need to have a proper method of raising revenue for the federal government. Continuing. What remedy can there be for this situation but in a change of the system which has produced it, in a change of the fallacious and delusional and delusive system of quotas and requisitions? What substitute can there be? What substitute can there be imagined for this ignis fatuus in finance, but that of permitting the national government to raise its own revenues by the ordinary methods of taxation authorized in every well-ordered constitution of civil government? Uh, Notice how in a newspaper article written for common consumption, Hamilton just casually throws out a Latin phrase, and everybody's supposed to know what it means. I have no idea what it means. I'm not going to look it up right now. But I just wanted to point that out because it's indicative of the level of education of 240 years ago. Hmm. Ingenious men may declaim with plausibility on any subject, but no human ingenuity can point out any other expedient to rescue us from the inconveniences and embarrassments naturally resulting from defective supplies of the public treasury. The more intelligent adversaries of the new Constitution admit the force of this reasoning, but they qualify their admission by a distinction between what they call internal and external taxation. The former they would reserve to the state governments, the latter, which they explain in commercial imposts, are rather duties on imported articles, they declare themselves willing to concede to the federal head. This distinction, however, would violate the maximum of good sense and sound policy, which dictates that every power ought to be in proportion to its object, and would still leave the general government in a kind of tutelage to the state governments, inc- inconsistent with every idea of vigor and efficiency, who can pretend that commercial imposts are, or would be, alone equal to the present and future exigencies of the Union. Taking into, the account, taking into the account the existing debt, foreign and domestic, upon any plan of extinguishment which a man moderately impressed with the importance of public justice and public credit could approve, in addition to the establishment which all parties will acknowledge to be necessary, we could not reasonably flatter ourselves that this resource alone upon the most improved scale would even suffice for its present necessities. Its future necessities admit not of calculation or limitation, and upon the principle, more than once averted to, the power of making provision for them as they arise ought to be equally unconfined. I believe it may be regarded as a position warranted by the history of mankind that, in the usual progress of things, the necessities of a nation in every stage of its existence will be found at least equal to its resources." To say that deficiencies may be provided for by requisition upon the states is on the one hand to acknowledge that this system cannot be depended upon and on the other hand to depend upon it in everything beyond a certain limit. Those who have carefully attended to its vices and deformities as they have been exhibited by experience or delineated in the course of these papers must feel invincible, invincible repugnancy to trusting the national interest in any degree of its operation. Its inevitable tendency, whenever it is brought into activity, must be to enfeeble the union and sow the seeds of discord and contention between the federal head and its members, and between the members themselves. Can it be expected that the deficiencies would be better supplied in this mode than the total wants of the union have heretofore been supplied in the same mode? it ought to be recollected that if less will be required from the states, they will have proportionately less means to answer the demand. If the opinion of those who contend for the distinction which has been mentioned were to be received as evidence of truth, one would be led to conclude that there was some known point in the economy of national affairs at which it would be safe to stop and say, thus far the ends of public happiness will be promoted by supplying the wants of government and all beyond this is unworthy of our care or anxiety how is it possible that a government half supplied and always necessitous can fulfill the purposes of its institution can provide for the security advance the prosperity or support the reputation of the commonwealth how can it ever possess either energy or stability dignity or credit confidence at home or respectability abroad How can its administration be anything else than a succession of expedients, temporizing, impotent, and disgraceful? How will it be able to avoid a frequent sacrifice of its engagements to immediate necessity? How can it undertake or execute any liberal or enlarged plans of public good? Let us attend to what would be the effects of this situation in the very first war in which we should happen to be engaged. We will presume, for argument's sake, that the revenue arising from the impost duties answers the purpose of provision for the public debt and of the peace peace establishments for the Union. Thus, circumstanced, a war breaks out. What would be the probable conduct of the government in such an emergency? Taught by experience that proper dependence could not be placed on the success of requisitions unable by its own authority to lay hold of fresh resources, and urged by considerations of national danger, would it not be driven to the expedient of diverting the funds already apportioned from their proper objects to the defense of the state? It is not easy to see how a step of this kind could be avoided, and if it should be taken, it is evident that it would prove the destruction of public credit at the very moment that it was becoming essential to the public safety." To imagine that at such a crisis credit might be dispensed with would be the extreme of infatuation. In the modern system of war, nations, the most wealthy, are obliged to have recourse to large loans. A country so little opulent as ours must feel this necessity in a much stronger degree. But who would lend to a government that prefaced its overtures for borrowing by an act which demonstrated that no reliance could be placed on the steadiness of its measures for paying. The loans it might be able to procure would be as limited in their extent as burdensome in their conditions. They would be made upon the same principle that us- usurers commonly lend to bankrupt and fraudulent debtors, with a sparing hand and at enormous premiums. It may be perhaps imagined that from the scantiness of the resources of the country, the necessity of diverting the established funds in the case supposed would exist, though the national government should possess an unrestrained power of taxation. But two considerations will serve to quiet all apprehension on this head. One is that we are sure the resources of the community in their full extent will be brought into the activity for the benefit of the Union the other is that whatever deficiencies there may be can without difficulty be supplied by loans the power of creating new funds upon new objects of taxation by its own authority would enable the national government to borrow as far as its necessities might require foreigners as well as the citizens of america could then reasonably repose confidence in its engagements but to depend upon a government that must itself depend upon thirteen other governments for the means of fulfilling its contracts, when once its situation is clearly understood, would require a degree of credulity not often to be met with in the pecuniary transactions of mankind, and little reconciled with the usual sharp-sightedness of avarice. Reflections of this kind may have trifling weight with men who hope to see see realized in America the halcyon scenes of the poetic or fabulous age. But to those who believe we are likely to experience a common portion of the vicissitudes and calamities which have fallen to the lot of other nations, they must appear entitled to serious attention. Such men must behold the actual situation of their country with painful solicitude, and appreciate the evils which ambition or revenge might, with too much felicity, inflict upon it. Publius. So the necessity of taxes, but I noticed something that uh, leaped out to me and talking about credit and borrowing loans. The assumption in Hamilton's article is that the normal streams of revenue would be sufficient to support all the legitimate day-to-day peacetime activities of the government he did not envision deficit spending. Indeed, nobody envisioned deficit spending, where day by day, year after year, the government spends more money than it has revenue. In the Federalist Number 30, it, it, it clearly indicates that the borrowing of money by the federal government would be an extraordinary event that would take place in times of war or great national disaster, that sort of thing. Not to supply the day-to-day needs of the government. So the fact that, I don't know what the national debt is right now, the trillions of dollars, um, that was not envisioned by our founders and indeed they would be yelling bloody murder if they saw the financial condition of our nation. That's why Ronald Reagan kept pushing for a balanced budget amendment Um, but neither the Republicans nor the Democrats want something like that. They don't want to be constrained. Um, I like the idea that Warren Buffett came up with. not generally a person who agrees with Warren Buffett, but he had a great idea. He said, you know, um, and I can't remember if he had an exclusion for times of war or whatnot, but he said his his thing was that if the the government had to balance the budget and if there was an emergency sufficient to which the government had to Borrow money, then if the budget and and he had a he had a like if it, if it exceeded like ten percent of of the revenue, then it was you know so it wasn't an absolute. They could borrow a little bit, but they couldn't borrow a lot. And if if the the borrowing exceeded a certain level, every sitting member of Congress was not eligible for reelection so that if the government ran a deficit all the members of Congress would no longer be eligible to hold federal office. And so the point was that okay if you if if there is an emergency and the government needs to borrow money to safely undertake its legitimate duties if that was the case then Congressmen as selfless statesmen this is you know representatives and senators could vote a deficit knowing that it ended their political careers so it'd be a case of I am willing to sacrifice any future political career because we need to do this as a nation um, otherwise to vote a deficit, would end your career, so they wouldn't do it. And and I thought that was a, you know, put a little skin in the game. So, you know, there are legitimate reasons for the government to go into debt, as Hamilton indicated in, in Federalist 30, but it's not to be a day-to-day thing. It's not to be the regular thing. Um, last time we had a balanced budget was in... Uh, the 1990s when Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House. Bill Clinton was President. Bill Clinton did not put forth that budget. That budget came out of the Republican-led Congress, and Bill Clinton signed it. But that was the last time we had a balanced federal budget. And like I said, I don't know what our national debt is right now. I I, I just, it's, it's an astonishing number that's and and how long have we been in debt you know we we need to pay this off we can't keep spending like this all right that's calm down it's friday we're going into the weekend we got church on sunday god's debts are paid or will be <laughs> there there are a few people that were going not looking forward to when God pays his debts to them on judgment day, but it will happen. God's debts are always paid. His promises are always kept. His people never want for bread. So we can trust in the Lord. Our, our, our hope is not in horses and chariots or kings or princes or congresses or presidents. Our hope is in the Lord. And, uh, the sinful men in our government will continue to be sinful men in our government and we pray for their repentance we pray that they would repent of their evil ways and turn to god but they are they will reap what they sow and while it is a concern while we live on this earth and we should call out the the sinful practices of the government we we ultimately know that the Lord will return to judge the living and the dead. So let's hold on to that hope as we look forward to gathering with the saints on Sunday to worship our God. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Now the colic for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you in the same Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for endurance. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children. That they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is our squirrel chatter for today. I remind you once again I am preaching, excuse me, preaching on Sunday at Fellowship Baptist Church in Bozeman. If you're in the Bozeman area, would love to have you come out and, and say hi. If you listen to the show and you're there, tell me. Hey, I listen to the podcast. But would be good to see you. I know all of my friends in Bozeman, and I do have a couple um, and not all of them but but a, the the ones that I've reached out to are are out of town this weekend so I'm not and of course the pastor I'm preaching for is out of town that's why I'm preaching but uh some other friends and and uh, there in uh, Bozeman are also gone this weekend so it's like well, heck. It'll just be Mrs. Squirrel and I, and we'll have to make new friends. So we'll figure that out. All right, folks. Have a great weekend. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Go to church on Sunday. We'll see you Monday for another edition of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless.